As many of you know, we are in a sermon series titled, Who Is This God? And it's a series that, built, that builds itself on an earlier one that we did last fall, Say Yes. Through meditations on the different names and actions of God, we've been trying to understand more fully who the God is to whom we are saying yes and what it might mean to say yes to that God and to live in the light of that truth. Now when I think about a definition of God, and I think this is probably the case for many of us, we would all, I suppose, or many of us, I should say, want to include the idea that God is love among our descriptions. Yes, there are probably many other character traits that we would include to answer the question, who is God? But surely something like God is love would be among the highlights. Now before I unpack what we might mean by this and what I think 1 John is trying to point us to, I do also want to acknowledge how complicated this simple little statement can be. What I mean is that I, I know only too well that saying that God is love can raise as many questions as it seems to answer. What I mean is that when many of us look at our lives where we look at our world, we have a hard time seeing where love, however one defines it, is or has been present. In my words here today, and I don't think anyone's words are necessarily able to close the gap between our perception or our experience on the one hand, and our affirmation and our hope on the other. What I do hope to do today is to remind us of the pathway that God calls us into. And that pathway is this. If we want to be able to say authentically that God is love, then we ourselves have to choose to enter into the way of love. Because it is only by engaging in love that we come to know the truth that God is love. So what exactly is love? I spend many hours racking my brain because there are so many definitions and so many answers to that question. Some of you might know that in the Greek language there are many different words actually that can be used for love, each of which have their own kind of nuance. In the New Testament alone there are four major word groups, three of which are typically discussed in a sermon like this. Words like philos, which means brotherly or familial love, the love of friendship, or the word eros, 
which refers to erotic love or the movement of desire. And then the word that is featured in our text today, agape, a love that is expressed solely for the benefit of the beloved. Now, as I mentioned, the word agape is the word that is used repeatedly in the text that we just heard read. And in fact, that word or a version of that word appears some 55 times in the short little, the short little book called 1 John, which makes it by far the most of any New Testament text. So if you want to know about love and how central love is, I would suggest starting with reading the book of 1 John. I think we can say with some certainty that the reason that the author of that letter talks so much about this type of love is because he and his community are living through a crisis. They are deeply divided. When you read the letter of 1 John, you see that there are sections that talk about things like false teachers, people who have left the fellowship for reasons we do not know, and of course others who simply don't seem to know how to care for others, to get along with others. In other words, they've forgotten how to love. All of this, when taken together, leads us to the conclusion, I think, that the community to whom this author was writing was not well. Things were not going well. So John devotes a great deal of time and energy to reminding this community about the centrality of love as they navigate through the difficulties that have come upon their common life. Now, I cannot obviously do justice fully to what we might mean by God is love today, and I certainly, I don't think I could do justice, frankly, to the letter of 1 John in the 15 to 20 minutes that I'm normally given. And I take a little bit extra sometimes, so I hear you. But I do want to offer sort of three observations in that regard. And the first is this. Whatever we think about love, we need to know that it is first and foremost an action. It is an act. The second is that love is messy and difficult, but it is durable. And the third is that love is meant to be passed along. It's meant to rep be replicated. So first of all, love, love is not an emotion. It's not even a disposition of affection towards another, not at least primarily. Rather, love is an action. This is, of course, also one of the first things that the text itself tells us. We know what love is 
when we look at a specific action. And John says it as follows. God's love was revealed among us in this way, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent us his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. In other words, love is here defined as the act of self-giving that marked the life of Jesus. A self-giving that was constant and consistent even to the end. So whatever God's love is, it is to be seen and found in this person, Jesus. Now in her book, All About Love, cultural critic Bell Hooks says that, quote, when we are loving, we openly and honestly express care, affection, responsibility, respect, commitment, and trust. Bell's Hooks goes on and draws from the work of Eric Fromm, a mid-20th century psychologist, and she gives an even more kind of concise definition. Love is the act of extending oneself for the purpose of nurturing another person's growth. Let me repeat that. Love is the act of extending oneself for the purpose of nurturing someone else's growth. The act of expending oneself for another. Love is not an emotion. It is not even a disposition. It is an act and an action that we have to choose to take. I think, frankly, that Hooks's reflections on this, and I highly recommend her book, All About Love, resonates pretty well with what John tells us about Jesus. The love that God is should not be confused with an abstract feeling or emotion. It is not primarily an intention. Rather, it is demonstrated to us in the day-to-day -day actions, such as those that we see in Jesus himself on behalf of others. Jesus' concern and action for the physical and spiritual well-being of others. His willingness to be mocked and seen as disreputable by the great and mighty because he cares for others. His affirmation of the full humanity of others. And not only his welcome of strangers, but his movement towards them. These and many others that we could call from the Gospels, these are all demonstrations of love. Now, as John puts it in his letter, Jesus was so committed 
to this way of living that he actually gave his life for it on our behalf. He showed us how far love can go. That it is an action that in some sense does not have an end, even the end of death. So love is an action. But love is also messy and difficult, though durable. I've already mentioned that there are several Greek words that you can look at that are translated as love in the English Bible, but the same actually holds true in Hebrew. But there is one word in particular that I want to call your attention to in this regard, and that is the word chesed. The word hesed can be translated in several different ways, but one of the primary ways that we find it in English is as steadfast love. God's chesed refers to God's steadfast love. Now one of the places, one of the pinnacle places really, where we see this rendering and where many uh, Jews and Christians and others look uh, to understand what chesed means can be found in Exodus 34, verse 6, which reads as follows. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, what makes the appearance of this word here in that text so startling and striking in, in Exodus 34 is because Exodus 32 and Exodus 33 tell us the story of Israel's betrayal. It tells us the story of the golden calf where Israel performed what can only be described as one of the greatest acts of unfaithfulness to Yahweh that you could imagine. They erected an idol and worshipped it instead of worshipping God. And in fact, they were so unfaithful from God's position, at least the way that the story is told to us, that Yahweh considers breaking off the relationship. But they did cut so deep that God almost decided to walk away from them. But eventually, the way that we are told the story in Exodus is that God's chesed kept him bound to them. God's chesed won the day. What are we to make of this? Love is an act, yes. I would imagine most of you already probably knew that, even if it's hard to do. But it's not an act taken only in our minds or only in abstract. Rather, love is the act of giving ourselves to people that sometimes we don't like. It is an act of giving ourselves to particular concrete people. And sometimes, maybe, frankly, too often, Many times, or even all of the time, our acts and actions of love 
are not really wanted, are not well received, are not seen, or are not appreciated. People are people. We are not always easy to love. And yet, love is able to abide in the midst of that reality. It doesn't merely exist as an idea. It doesn't merely exist as an expression of reciprocity. If you do this, then I will love you. No, love endures. In fact, what we see again and again throughout the Hebrew Bible is that the love that is God is closely connected to faithfulness and forgiveness. In fact, the little couplet that I read in the text, steadfast love and faithfulness, this is one of the most common couplets that you will find throughout Scripture. And that is because God loves us, people who struggle to love others. That God is love means that God remains faithful, even in the face of our faithlessness. The love that God is can and does abide even in the midst of broken and shattered relationships. Now I do think it's necessary to just briefly pause here and make clear that I'm not saying that there's no such thing as a harmful or a toxic relationship where the only truly loving thing to do is to step away or to leave that relationship. An abused person is not at all required to remain in an abusive relationship because of the demands of love. But having said that, it is also clear that love is no delicate thing. It can and it does endure the ups and downs of life. And our ability to extend love is not contingent on whether or not we will receive love back. Even though I know we all hope for and long for and even struggle for places where love can and does flow freely. As Martin Luther King Jr. used to say, love is the most durable power in the world. A truth that takes on a particular meaning in the context of the struggle for civil rights where there were many who refused to receive that love or to give those rights. Love endures resistance. Such love can open up new possibilities for life and freedom and community. So love is an act, and it is an act that is done to concrete people 
which means it's messy and difficult, but it's also durable. And lastly, love is meant to be passed along. It is meant to be replicated. In our passage and really throughout most of 1 John, the working assumption is that because God is love, we too ought to love. And if we don't love, we don't really know God. It's, it's really probably the most straightforward point of the entire book, certainly of our passage. John assumes that it is virtually impossible to have been encountered by the God of love and not in turn to love others. Even if our expression is meager in comparison, the love that is God is meant to flow through us to others. I, I, I can't remember, but I think I have mentioned in this context before the novel, The Brothers Karamazov, by the great Russian author Fyodor Dostoevsky. It's a huge, massive novel, so it's the kind of thing it takes several years to read. I think it took me five years to read one of his other novels. <laughs> um, you, know, you read it, go back, leave it, come back, etc. But one of the key themes in the book, in the novel, is the interconnection of love and truth. And as I was working on this sermon this week, I kept being reminded of this one particular scene that has stuck with me all these years later. It's a scene in the novel where Zosima, the aged monk who has spent his life devoted to God in prayer and works of piety, is speaking to a person who asks him for an intellectual argument that God exists. Now, Zosima responds to the person as follows, and here I'm paraphrasing. He says, there is no intellectual argument that God exists. But the more you succeed in loving your neighbor, the more you will be convinced of the existence of God. The more you love others, the more you will come to understand not only that there is a God, but that that God is love. Love is meant to be replicated. And when it is, its truth speaks for itself. As I mentioned at the outset, I know that many of us have questions and objections and traumas that make it difficult, maybe even impossible, to actually believe that God is love. And many of the rest of us who may not have those struggles, we still find it difficult to believe that love can be found in this world, that it can last, or that it is even worth it. But the invitation of the gospel is this. Live into God's love. 
follow the way of love. And then you will know the truth of this world. You will know the true grain of the universe. And you will experience the nearness of God. And perhaps you will begin to taste the fruit of a reconciled world even now. Amen.